Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside NBA Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame baseball was knocked out of the College World Series with losses to Oklahoma and Texas A&M, which has given way to link Jarrett Watch with his alma mater, Florida State, interested in hiring him. We won't spend much time on baseball today, and we'll get back to more of our bread and butter with some football talk. The official visits have slowed down for Notre Dame recruiting, but the Irish are in position to carry momentum in both the 2023 and 2024 classes into July. A number of important Notre Dame targets reside in the Midwest in both of those classes, so we want to bring on rivals Midwest-based national recruiting analyst Clint Cosgrove to talk about the talent Notre Dame is chasing in the region. Clint, thanks for joining us. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk some ND football, some Midwest recruiting. Can't get better than that. Clint, uh, there's a number of places we could have started, but I feel like we have to start at quarterback. Obviously, everyone knows by now that C.J. Carr committed to Notre Dame's 2024 class. How good of a quarterback is Notre Dame getting? Um, I think Notre Dame is not just getting a good quarterback. They're getting a great quarterback, a special talent, uh, a great kid, a special kid, and uh, a guy with all the intangibles. He's more than just a quarterback. He is a leader. He is a face of the program. Um, he is a guy who will make those around him better. And, uh, you know, he's just the complete package. Uh, you know, uh, I know during the broadcast, you know, Brady Quinn was talking about, you know, you should be a five-star right now. And, um, you know, uh, our, our new 250 came out. He's not a five-star yet. He's, he's 0.1 below that, I believe. Um, but at the spot he is in, our, uh, you know, if he were to hold that spot, when we do have a full 32 five-stars like we usually end up with in the class, um, you know, that puts him in position to end up being a five-star player. But, um, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, CJ and, and gotten to know him ever since he was a freshman. Uh, you could tell he'd be special back then. Uh, but like I said, complete package from throwing mechanics, arm strength, uh, intangible, smarts, uh, quick release, seeing the field, you know, uh, you know, coach's family, like he gets it. And, um, you know, uh, he's 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 what Notre Dame football is all about, and I think he'll be a great representation and put them in a great position to not only recruit strong over the next two years, but uh, you know, be very good at the quarterback position in in years to come. Well, Clint, I know that uh, the weird part of this is the possible reclassification of CJ and how that would affect how Notre Dame is going to continue recruiting quarterbacks. But before I get into, I'll let Tyler ask that question. <laughs> um, you know, people wonder what's going to happen with Dante Moore now. If, if you could only have one of those two quarterbacks, who do you think is the better prospect? The one that's committed to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't mean to take the easy way out, but, um, you know, you take either one. Dante Moore is a special, special player. Um, he's in the 2023 class, obviously, uh, and there's a need a quarterback. I understand that. Uh, but CJ Carr is also a special player. Uh, he's a year younger. Uh, you know, are there schools that have two players of that caliber at that position on the same roster? There, there certainly are. Uh, you know, you look at Ohio State a few years ago, you know, Joe Burrow, what was he like? A third string quarterback goes down to LSU yeah. and, you know, wins the Heisman. So, um, you know, you, you, you do see it, uh, but in my opinion, you, you, you take the one that, that you know is a sure get. Do, do you still try to, you know, go after Dante Moore? Uh, most definitely, because Dante Moore is a special player. He's a high, high caliber player. Um, he's very polished. He has all the intangibles, just like CJ. Um, uh, they're similar in many ways, uh, different in a couple of ways, uh, but both capable of being the face of the program, both capable of taking a team a long ways, and both capable of of recruiting other top talent to come to the school. So um, I think it's a lot more complex than, you know, uh, which one do you take? But uh, to me, you take the one that you know that you got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'll talk more about the reclassification stuff with, with, from in, in our vis, uh, listener questions later on after Clint's gone. But I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the St. Louis area. There seems to be a real influx of talent there. Um, Notre Dame's after a few guys from the area, including 2023 cornerback Christian Gray, 2023 running back Jeremiah Love, and 2024 wide receiver Ryan Wingo. 
is is this a new development in St. Louis in terms of the talent there? Or are we paying more attention to it now because the players Notre Dame is recruiting? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, I wouldn't say it's a brand new development. Over the years, St. Louis has put out some spectacular players. Um, they have always been really good with having elite talent. Um, maybe not putting out as many Division One players as – uh, numbers wise, and I'm talking from maybe FCS to, you know, your elite players as uh, Chicagoland or something like that. But what they have always done is they have always had elite level talent. Now, um, back, you know, I grew up following St. Louis recruiting because my dad recruited St. Louis when he was at University of Wisconsin. I would go on those trips with him. I would talk to those kids on the phone with him when he was on the phone. Um, and they, you know, they brought a lot of players, uh, guys who went on to you know, I think of like uh, Jamar Fletcher. He wins the Thorpe Award at Wisconsin. He's a St. Louis kid. You know, Aaron Gibson, you know, Outland Trophy. Um, Terrell Fletcher, running back, goes to the NFL. Like just so many players. Um, so uh, there was a time where St. Louis was a was a hotbed. Everybody was recruiting it. It was probably over-recruited for the amount of players. But the reason everybody was recruiting it is because there was a lot of elite-level talent. There was a period, I feel like, where it became, uh, it kind of waned in terms of the amount of emphasis teams put on recruiting it. Uh, they might have thought it was over-recruited. And then there might have been, I don't want to say a lull in talent because there's always been talent out of St. Louis, but there was a few years where it was not the spot that everybody wanted to go. Um, or maybe they just didn't want to compete uh, with all the other schools that were going to, and they thought that they could use their resources better. Over the last probably eight years or so, there has been a resurgence in elite, elite level talent in St. Louis. A lot of that has to do with the coaches in that community, the emphasis that they have put on football, uh, the mentorship uh, that these coaches have provided, and they have done a really good job at getting their kids out there early, getting them noticed. And, uh, you know, it, it takes more than having special players. It takes the exposure and it takes getting coaches to come to the area and recruit it hard. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that combination, we're seeing it again. There's a lot of elite level talent. There's also talent from the FCS level to the group of five level. Um, but St. Louis, to me, is, is, a, is a hotbed of talent right now. And like I said, it has been for a long time. It just, you know, like anything else, it's, it's cyclical and it can wane and flow in different ways at different times. Clint, I'm wondering, I don't know how, how granular you get with some of these kids when you talk to them, but, you know, I think Notre Dame fans feared that name, image, and likeness was going to ruin Notre Dame and this momentum they had with recruiting with Marcus Freeman. And I'm wondering, have you seen many kids that are putting NLI at the top of their list in terms of what they're looking for in a school or is, or has that maybe been overstated so far in the 2023 and 2024 cycles? You know, it, it's hard to tell because a lot of the kids are going to keep this stuff close to the vest. Um, they don't want to make it, uh, they especially don't want to make it sound like they're just going somewhere for money. Um, but I do think it has been a little overstated in terms of, uh, and, and, I mean, I'll be the first to say that I was worried that it would change everything, that it would just be a pay-for-play game and, and uh, only certain schools are going to be competing for the top talent. Um, really, the guys who are making their decisions based off money are a very small percentage because only a small percentage are going to get that big-time money that we feared would ruin this whole recruiting cycle. And so a lot of these kids, especially if they are, you know, mentored the right way or, or not getting offers that are going to be uh, generational changing money. Um, there's only a couple of guys who are getting those. They are looking at the bigger picture, especially the guys who Notre Dame is recruiting. They're recruiting a different type of kid, a different mindset. Um, they see the bigger picture. They know the big check comes at the NFL. They know Notre Dame can put them in position to be a high round draft pick if they were to go and perform. So yes, the NIL is going to play a factor. Um, I think it's for the majority of kids, it's playing less of a factor than I thought it would at the beginning. Um, and like I said, Notre Dame, like those kids, they're still going to get some kind of package. I'm sure. I don't know the ins and outs of it. The kids don't get into the nitty gritty about what they've been offered, what they haven't. 
Um, but I've yet to hear a kid flat out say, I'm going to wherever I get the best NIL package. So it'd be Cliff. funny if they had the hat ceremony and a kid picked up the winning hat and there was a whole pile of cash underneath it. <laughs> hey, then we would know. We would know what's actually going on behind the closed doors. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love to see it because I, I think technically that might be legal. Um, <laughs> But just from talking to, you know, agents and people involved in NIL and, and kids, uh, whether it be on the record, off the record, um, it really, and I think it's also a touchy subject that you kind of dance around at the same time. Right. So um, it's not going to, you know, kids aren't just going to openly go straight for it and be like, let's talk about NIL today. You know, it's uh, one of those things yeah. that you've got to have the relationship. And uh, really, I, I've tried not to dig too much into it. I want to get opinions on it. I want to get, uh, you know, you know, if the kid's willing to say, you know, uh, how big the NIL comes into their choice, or if they're willing to say, you know, a, a lot of my top recruited friends, it's an important thing. Like, I'm more interested to know the trends and what's what's kind of happening with it as a whole. Um, then I am getting into the nitty gritty of an individual's recruitment and NIL uh, situation. Uh, right. You know, I, I just want to cover the, <laughs> the recruiting part of it. And uh, I try not to get too far involved, although we do try to get a little information on that for sure. Clint, circling back to one of those St. Louis kids, Notre Dame hasn't signed a top 100 cornerback since Sean Crawford. That could change if Christian Gray picks Notre Dame on July 4th. What do you think of the Irish chances there and why is he a top 100 recruit? Um, so I, uh, I think the Irish chances are very good there. Um, I at one point had a future cast in for Christian to LSU. Um, I've known Christian since he was a puff, a little freshman at Dismet when coach Steeples, who is now the defensive backs coach at LSU was the head coach. Um, you know, St. Louis is always, like I kind of talked about earlier, uh, an area that I've been connected to, whether it be through coaching, recruiting, scouting, and now on the media side. Um, Dismet was always a, a stop of mine. And so I got to know Christian at a very young age. And I know that Coach Steeples was a mentor of his, somebody that him and his mother trusted, someone they have a lot of respect for, and uh, also a heck of a coach and a heck of a person. And I just thought with... Um, you know, with uh, Mac Markaway, his teammate, going to LSU to join Steeples. And then uh, Wingo, who played D-line at Missouri last year, who was also a Dismet kid, went down to LSU to join Steeples. Um, I, I just really thought, you know, he, he's, uh, Coach Steeples has made that big of an impact on these kids' lives. And the parents are familiar with them. And then you go down to LSU, see the facilities, the level of football and all that. I just really thought that that was going to be the spot for Christian. I also know that Christian and his mom are very close. And had it not been for Coach Steeples, I don't think that uh, she would have wanted him going that far from home. Now, I'm sure, you know, Christian's a big boy and he, he can make his own decisions. But I know his mom's opinion matters a lot. And uh, I know his mom's involved in his recruitment. And she's looking for a place that is going to take care of her son, develop him not only as a football player, but as an individual, as a student. Uh, really looking for that that complete package. And Notre Dame provides that, and it's not too far from home. Um, so uh, I think he, uh, you know, Christian, uh, we, we've talked a lot over the years. I haven't talked to him or heard back from him much recently. Um, <laughs> so you never know where his head's at, but that also makes me think that he's, he's kind of closing in on a decision. And if I were to pick at this point, um, yes, I, I do think it would be between LSU and Notre Dame, but I would give Notre Dame probably the head's uh, you know, the, the favorite right now, uh, as far as him as a player, um, he's just so talented. He is tall, long, athletic, uh, very fluid in the hips can cover man to man, um, with his frame, he can put on a lot of weight. He can play safety. You know, you talk about the way offense offenses are evolving in positionless football on defense where guys can play multiple different places. He's that type of player. Um, he's far from done developing, and the thing that I really like about him is for a young kid with his length and height and, and still relatively skinny, uh, his body control. A lot of guys don't develop that until they are fully grown into their frame. And so uh, he checks all the boxes as far as it goes for a complete covered, covered corner. Um, he's not afraid to be physical. He's a competitor. Um, and uh, his best football is still in front of him, which is pretty impressive. 
Clint, uh, Notre Dame has been hopscotching back and forth from number one to number two. I guess Ohio State jumped them yesterday, um, but they have some potential commitments coming up here in the next few days. Do you think when we're talking about Notre Dame recruiting in December, we're still going to be looking at a top three type of a class? Yeah, I mean, I would say with the guys they have on board, uh, yes, but um, you just, you never know. So much changes between now and then. And, um, you know, just the littlest, you know, losing a recruit or flipping a recruit can be the difference between a five, uh, a top five class and being outside of the top five. It can literally come down to a single recruit. Um, The thing that you typically see with Notre Dame is guys, and, and you saw this during the last coaching cycle, you know, when there's a coaching change, Usually there's a lot of uh, there's a lot that gets mixed up with, with the commitments in a class. And Freeman was able to keep that relatively intact and then also add on to it. Um, so uh, you'd like to think that Notre Dame's in a pretty good position to be, a, you know, to land a top three class with the guys they have on board, the guys that they are in on. Um, and, uh, you know, I just see it trending in the right direction for Notre Dame. But like I said, there's no guarantees. A lot can change between now and then. You know, NCAA is talking rule changes where they can have unlimited coaches. I mean, there are just so many variables that you hate to put your stamp on one thing when uh, there's so much out of, you know, really out of the coach's control. A lot's in the kids' hands, a lot's in the NCAA's hands. Um, But I do like their their chances to finish with a very highly rated class, uh, regardless of of any changes or or what happens coming up. One recruit who would help that ranking would be Jeremiah Love, who recently moved up into the top 50 in the 2023 class, running back from St. Louis. I know you've been on the Jeremiah Love train for a while and everyone's sort of catching up now. What's it been like to watch people find out just how good he is? Um, It's been a lot of fun. Uh, (laughs) You know, my first rankings meeting, uh, I came in and I wanted Jeremiah Love uh, ranked pretty high. And, you know, at the time, it, it I understand, you know, I was the new guy and they probably, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily understand the, the RRs and all that stuff. You know, I just knew that I really liked him and I wanted him maybe higher than he probably should have been at the time. Who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, it was relatively, he, he hadn't put up big numbers at that point. It was, it was early three game film. You know, he, he hadn't been a game changer the year before part of that's being at CBC. They got to spread the ball out. They have a lot of players. Um, there were some questions. Is he a little bit too upright of a runner? Um, that never bothered me because I thought he could bend well. Uh, there was questions. Is he fast enough? Um, well, uh, I had hoped he was fast enough, and he went on to prove that he was fast enough by running sub 4-4 electronic in the 40. So all these things that you hope and look for and believe in, and sometimes we have our own individual biases um, when it comes to schools or recruits or um, positions and uh, we see things differently. It's fun watching it all come together. He, he's really turned out to, well, I guess be one of the, if not the highest rated or recruited running back in the nation. He's uh, proven people wrong on things that they question. He's proven me wrong in terms of, I might've thought that he was one level in, in one particular area of his game, but he's a whole different level. So he's even turned out to be better than I thought he would be. I think he's got a chance to be very special at the next level. Love the kid, love his mentality, love his size, love his speed. Uh, I just love what he can bring to the offense. And a big part of that is being a home run threat on top of being a physical runner. You know, it's not, he's not the type of back that you just have to get in space and hope that he can make somebody miss. He might run somebody over, uh, you know, uh, you know, they, they run a gap scheme or, or, or zone scheme and, uh, you know, he gets to the second level, he might run over a, a linebacker and then he's at full speed two steps later and he's out running everybody to go to the house. So he can make things happen on his own too. And I think that's where we're going to see him take the next step in his game next year is um, not only, you know, using what is put in front of him to make plays, but really, you know, showing that he's a difference maker in terms of taking nothing and making it the big time play. And I think he's capable of doing that at the next level as well. Glenn, I I'll, I want to follow up with a ratings question. Um, as these guys get into their senior seasons and so forth, how do you weigh that against what you saw at a camp or what you saw at in the seven-on-seven seven in the summer? 
how do those things proportion out in, in the final ratings? You know, it's a, it's a combination of everything. Um, you know, for me being in the Midwest where I get to see these kids in person more often, whether it be, uh, at a seven on seven, a camp at their school's practice in a game, um, you know, my evaluation comes a lot more from what I see on the football side of things than it does the camp side of things. For me, the camp part with the Midwest is great. If I haven't been able to see a kid in person, it can either uh, reinforce my evaluation from film uh, or, you know, other things that I have seen, track times, all of that. Or it can say that my evaluation on film was wrong. And uh, so it's helpful from that per, uh, perspective. But when you're talking a national ratings uh, rankings and you're with a group of guys who each have their own region and we're coming in, you know, kind of politicking for who should be in the top 50 and stuff like that, the camps do play a big portion into that because, um, you know, kids from California, I'm not paying attention to them unless they're an absolute stud and we're getting into a rankings debate unless I saw them at a camp. Then I can be like, oh, gosh, I saw him there. That kid was a stud. I get why you want him that high. And these other national analysts are able to do the same thing then with the Midwest kids. When they get a chance to see him at the camp, they can actually give some more input than just going off what they saw uh, on a three-game film or, you know, without doing a deep dive into them. Uh, they're able to say, you know what? I did see that kid in person. He was a stud. It's not just Clint saying that. It's not just his offer list. Um, I also believe in what I saw from him as well. Um, I have no, uh, you know, I have no problem with moving a kid this high or that high. So it, that really does help when it comes to terms of us having these discussions on a national level. The camps do come into play a lot um, because for some of the national team, uh, that is the only chance that they get to see these players in person because they're busy working on their region otherwise. Clint, someone who I, I believe falls in that category is 2024 defensive end Brandon Davis Swain, who committed to Notre Dame in April and was at a rivals camp uh, shortly after that. He made one of the biggest jumps of the 2024 class all the way up to number 29 overall. Why does he merit such a high ranking? Um, I think when you see him in person and he's uh, – well, I mean, you see his film, and the, the film says a lot. You know, okay. you, you know he's a dude, but you don't realize how big he is and how – thick he is and how he's still growing like even when you look at him I think I, I don't remember the exact weight but I think he was like 240 pounds or something and I would have never guessed that um and then we had the discussion you know is he a strong side defensive end now I don't even know if he's a rush like this is a big dude who's still growing and then you say you know these guys who hadn't seen him in person guys from the west coast the way he explodes off the ball going against these top offensive linemen and, and he gives them fits um, I, I definitely think that uh, his performance at a camp, uh, you know, help, helped him in the rankings. I, I mean, there's really no way around it. It was a chance for the other guys who are, are part of these rankings debates for them to say, okay, I might've thought this kid in my area was better. I just saw him. He's the real deal in person. He's actually a little better than the kid in my area. Um, I'm going to go ahead and side with, you know, the evaluation that I had there combined with what we know about him, combined with what Clint has said about him. And so that's a great example of the camps making a difference in a kid's ranking. One other ranking question I had was the last, the 2023 and the 2024 classes have all these quarterbacks up toward the top, you know, way more than traditionally you see five-star quarterbacks in a class. And I mean, and we're going by what you're saying, you know, eventually there will be 32 five stars. There's a lot of guys in the top 32. What is it with all these elite quarterbacks? Are kids just getting trained better earlier and, and maturing in their games earlier? Is that why we're seeing so many elite guys at the top? You know, it's hard for me to to, I guess, since I'm new to this side, since I'm new to the ranking side, um, yeah. with my old job in scouting, I would just basically give a, a level of play. Um, yeah. You know, it would be elite BCS means any team in the country should be recruiting. A major D1 would be, you know, a high power five kid. Um, so I hadn't paid much attention to where quarterbacks were in the rankings in the past, to be completely honest. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it is something that we have talked about and that we do know. Uh, these 
past two, and actually it looks like the quarterback classes moving forward are going to be very top-heavy when it comes to quarterbacks. And I don't think this has always been the case. There are some years, um, and just going off what I've heard during the rankings meetings, where you're like hoping to find a kid, you know, that, that is that five-star quarterback. Now we're debating, who, you know, how many can we have? Um, yeah. And so uh, I think that is, is new. I think you pointed to the, the specialization of training. Um, quarterbacks are getting identified earlier and earlier. And because of that, uh, there is an emphasis put on quarterbacks' families, <laughs> quarterbacks, as individuals that they want to go out and get the exposure and get the help that they need to be identified early as a potential power five player and get recruited and get those offers early. Because a lot of the time with quarterbacks, um, since the recruiting does happen early and you try to get them in the boat as soon as possible, you know, there's a big drop off after that top, top group. And so it's really a race for that top, those top players. And if, if you haven't been identified as one of those top players, especially in the day of, uh, where senior evaluations seem to have gone out the door in most of college football recruiting for power five schools. Um, you know, you see a lot of quarterbacks that have division one talent that may be developed late or were under evaluated, under recruited early on. And then they're in their senior year and they still don't have a division one offer yet. They're that caliber of player. So, um, I know there's a lot of angles here. There's, you know, talking about 10 different things at once and, it's the same thing. You talk to 10 different quarterback coaches, you're going to get 10 different opinions on a single kid. Um, it's uh, quarterback uh, recruiting has always been very interesting to me. Uh, it is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big emphasis put on it, obviously in the rankings, because we are judged off of, you know, basically the NFL draft four or five years from now and position of value quarterbacks getting drafted high quarterback is a high position of, of value. And so, you know, there is that emphasis put it on not only identifying the ones who do have that potential, but getting it right. Um, and like I said, there's just so many variables when it comes to quarterbacks. Now, they can have all the talent in the world, but one thing goes wrong at the next level and they may never play it down. So, um, yeah, I, I probably went on a few tangents there, but uh, the, the bottom line is, yes, there's a lot of talented quarterbacks in, in these upcoming classes. I, I do not know you know statistically how it compares to the past but it is my understanding that we are seeing more and more um compared to past classes clint my whole life is on a tangent so you're right with me <laughs> i love it uh we can talk about uh nothing for a long time probably then. <laughs> clint I got, I got one more for you good quarterback is certainly a position that notre dame um I, I think a lot of people feel notre dame can take a step forward in terms of its its chances of winning a national championship that's a position that it needs to be better at in order to do so and i think wide receiver is is in that group as well they've had elite receivers but maybe not enough of them consistently um and one potentially elite wide receiver is making his college choice next week and that's 2024 wide receiver cam williams out of the chicago area um we believe notre dame's in a good position there if if he does end up committing to notre dame what what kind of talent does he possess? Is he the elite level kind of wide receiver that Notre Dame needs to maybe make that next step, step in a national championship run? Yeah, I do think that Cam has all of the tools and intangibles to be an elite level uh, receiver. Uh, always knew he was good. Always knew he was a power five kid from the very first time I saw him and got to know him uh, when he was a freshman. Uh, I've known his high school coach for a long time. His high school coach was best friends with one of my college roommates. Um, so we go way back. And when I was scouting, uh, you know, Glenbard South was always a stop for me. Um, and Cam at a young age, uh, he showed up at North Central Campus freshman year, ran like four or five and he was already six one. And uh, so you knew he had the talent. You just didn't know, OK, how far is he going to take this? How good can he be? And he has continued to develop at uh, an astronomical rate, um, not only as a football player, um, but physically, uh, athletically, he has maintained or increased his speed with the added size, added length, ball skills, everything's coming together for him. And he is a phenomenal kid. Um, so if he were to choose Notre Dame, um, you know, that's, that, that's a big one. I know him and CJ Carr have connected. Well, uh, I, I trust CJ when it comes to evaluating receivers because, um, he knows what makes his money O-line and receivers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if CJ is all in on cam. 
I think I am too. But no, I, I think Cam can be a very special player. Uh, there's just so much to like about him. And he's just scratching the surface as well. Um, but, but you talk about a great kid who wants it and uh, is going to do anything to, to, to get it done. You know, Cam is that guy. Uh, is he, you know, is he Carnell Tate right now? Uh, not necessarily, but could he be in a year? Yeah, he, he does have that, that potential. Now, and I, and, I, and I don't say that lightly because Carnell is, is a different, he is a different player. He is a special, special player. And I do think that Cam has that in him. He just, it, it's hard to, you know, it, or it's easy to forget that he's, he's only a, you know, going into his junior year of high school, you know? <laughs> right. So like, there's just so much in front of him and he, he's, he's, he's just got the potential to be so good. So he's just got to keep on working at it and, and developing. But, um, you know, if I'm Notre Dame and, and I do get a, a commitment from Cam, um, what is it? The 29th, I think he's announcing, yep. uh, I'm going to be pretty darn fired up. I would say. <laughs> All right, Clint, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and sharing your insight on all those recruits. I, it's extremely valuable, and uh, we'll be in touch. Awesome. No, thanks, Tom, for having me on. Uh, anytime you guys want me back, uh, I can come on and talk less, too. You just let me know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys having me on. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is now powered by Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit acrepro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First question I have for us, Eric, is from at MikeDevoy1. Any information on whether Link Jarrett is leaving? I was surprised by the sloppy defense and mental errors in the last two games and wonder if all the rumors around Jarrett contributed to that. Well, we – you know, I would expect him to take the Florida State job. The fact that it hasn't happened yet, I think, is maybe good for Notre Dame. I think there's a pathway for Notre Dame to keep him. I just think it's very difficult given all the factors in terms of what Florida State means to Link Jared. I mean, we're not just talking about a Clemson or a USC, some of the other big openings that came up. We're talking about his hometown, where his wife's from, you know, where he was an All-American, and, and, and that's going to be really difficult. And I, and I don't know that even money would match what Link is looking for. I think he's looking for home. I, I think the one thing that um, Link fell in love with at Notre Dame was his players um, and the type of player that comes to Notre Dame and the, and what they're willing to overcome to be elite. And I think that really tugged at his heartstrings, but ultimately I think he's going to choose Florida state. Now, from a standpoint of them being distracted, no, I don't think they were at all. I think link handled it so well. He was upfront with them. He didn't play games. He didn't lie to them about what could eventually happen. He addressed it as soon as that Florida state, job came open. The other thing is they have a lot of kids that aren't going to be back. A lot of their starters are going to be moving on. And so there's not the, you know, worry about it, but, but it never became a distraction for that team. Otherwise they wouldn't have beaten Tennessee. I mean, that was one of the monumental upsets of college baseball ever um, going to Tennessee and winning two out of three down there. So that would be my assessment of the distraction part of that question. Yeah, I I mean, they had, they had already dealt with whatever distraction there was, so I don't know that it would have been a new level of distraction that that reached in the, the last two games. I think, I think that's convenient sort of searching for excuses. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I'm in agreement with you that it, it's sort of hard to imagine him staying just because of what what everything that Florida State means to, to Link Jarrett. Now, maybe, maybe, I mean, there's a chance, like, 
hey, you know so much about a place that you know that it, maybe it's it's not the place for you. Um, but I, I would be a bit surprised if that's that's how it ended up playing out. So I would expect him to be at Florida State and Notre Dame to be looking for a new coach. You know, Mike Rooney mentioned this to us on uh, a couple pot or actually the last podcast. Mike Rooney from ESPN and former Notre Dame baseball player. Um, and, and Carter Carls, who used to work with us at the Tribune, who's now covering Florida State, they both mentioned this. Florida State doesn't sink as they're kind of, you know, tradition rich. They're they're geographically in the right place, but sometimes they're trying to throw a champagne party on a beer budget. <laughs> so they're not throwing all the money into baseball. And that may be a downfall that Link, he may want to see more of a financial commitment to baseball from Florida State being right smack in SEC country. All right. Next question we have is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of Numbers. Do you anticipate any position changes for Indy football? I still think Notre Dame needs another receiver with the possibility of Wilkins not being ready for the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, that the possibility of Wilkins not being ready for the start of the season is troubling if there's another injury. I think if everybody else plays really well, takes a step up in their game, you know, you have a healthy Braden Lindsay, um, then I think Notre Dame is going to be okay with that. You know, as I kind of looked around the roster, there weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of great candidates to move to wide receiver, especially with Logan Diggs situation at, at running back. And I'm not saying Diggs was a um, candidate, but I think you would have seen if he, if they were sure that he was going to be ready and up to full speed on September 3rd, you might've seen Chris Tyree and Jadarian Price in the slot a little bit more. I don't know that we'll see that quite as much if Diggs isn't ready to go in September um, so that's a variable, you know, as I looked at the corners and, you know, they want to develop those corners because they're going to you know, lose some guy, you know, lose maybe Cam Hart this year. They're definitely going to lose Tariq Bracey. So they, they want to get people ready. And, you know, I guess the guy that I, I would pick maybe to move over if they were, there was an emergency situation might be Benjamin Morrison, just because he wasn't here in the spring. He's a really good athlete with really good speed. But again, you're counting them on on a depth piece, not somebody that's really going to help you. I don't I don't know that there's anybody dynamic enough to do that because Xavier Watts was already given that option and he turned it down and, and he's going to be a really good safety. Um, I'll let Tyler address that part and then we can talk about maybe other position switches. Yeah, I I don't I don't have anything that I've heard of. Um, or anything that came to mind immediately. I, I do I do have, I guess, injury observations. I, I don't have actual information. I didn't receive any sort of background on, on, on the status of the recoveries of these guys, but I was at the Juneteenth event on Monday that uh, many of the Notre Dame football players attended, um, and Joe Wilkins was there. He was no longer in a cast um, or a boot, um, uh, but he wasn't, he wasn't out there like playing basketball with the kids or anything like that. Um, Avery Davis was playing some basketball with the kids. Now, obviously, it's not the same as playing football in college, but uh, he was he was moving around. Uh, obviously, Tyler Buckner's no no longer dealing with an ankle issue, um, and Logan Diggs wasn't in a sling either. So those guys, at least cosmetically, seem to be moving ahead in their in their recoveries. Um, but I, I don't know the I don't know what it looks like on the inside with the, with MRIs or X-rays or those kinds of things. So I I don't want to like speak to speak to them being like ahead of schedule or anything like that. But I just thought that would be worth noting as something that I observed when when I was at that event. But other other position changes, I nothing really came to mind to me. Was there anything else that that jumped out at you? Well, I mean, I th I think there's some subtle ones, and one of the ones that's been kind of buzzing this summer is is Jarrett Patterson going to move from center to guard oh, yeah. to accommodate Zeke Carell that's a possibility and that, there's some other little ones you know there could be a boundary corner going to field corner or vice versa there could be somebody moving from defensive tackle to nose you know Tyson Ford was playing inside in the spring if uh, you know Jason Adam Alola is fully healthy do you kick him back out to maybe the big end and 
take a look at him there. Um, you know, those those kind, but I, I don't think there's anything that that's really major, like somebody going from offense to defense or making a big position switch. And we're also not quite sure where J.D. Bertrand fits. Um, I will say this. I've got an interview with Marcus Freeman on Monday, and we're going to get a lot of those questions, answers in, in terms of status of players, injured players, and possible position switches. Those are questions that I'll ask on Monday. Yeah, you, you can't promise answers. You can only promise the questions. <laughs> um, okay, next question we have, speaking of the offensive line, uh, from Rhino1134 on the Insider Lounge, is the offensive line, is if if the offensive line is indeed Joe Wald at left tackle, Jarrett Patterson at left guard, Zeke Carell at center, right guard Josh Lug, and right tackle Blake Fisher, what is the ceiling for the line by the end of the year? Top 20, top 10, top 5, Joe Moore award level, question mark. Well, I'll start with the answer to the question and then kind of back into it. I would say top 10. Um, and I probably would say that if Jarrett Patterson were also the center and Andrew Kristoffic or Rocco Spindler were the starting guard. Um, the one thing to keep in mind, I mean, you're looking at pros, future pros at the tackles, and you're looking at maybe the best center in the country Jared Patterson, whether he's playing center or guard. Uh, but, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. And, and so, you know, the fifth best guy on the offensive line has to be really good. And I think that's what's going to drive that number, whether it's top 20, top 10, top five kind of things. Because certainly with Patterson and the two tackles, you have at least a top five offensive line there. And, it, and, they're not going to maybe look that way in September, just based on how soon Jarrett Patterson gets back in there and starts practicing with them. But I think by the end of the month, you're going to say, okay, th this is what we expected when Harry Heastan came back to Notre Dame. Yeah. Maybe it's just a difference of opinion in terms of what like ceiling means, but to me, like ceiling doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it has to be real that realistic, but like, I guess I, I I have trouble saying like, why why can't the ceiling be the Joe Moore Award winning offensive line? Like, what what why can't yeah, this? Maybe offensive I didn't pay enough attention to the word ceiling. I was trying to say no, and I, no. I think I think your I mean I think your perspective is fair. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I guess he might not necessarily care like what's possible because obviously winning it seems. Po I mean, it's po anything's possible, but uh, I, I mean. So, it, like, we're talking about, yeah, two of the best young tackles in college football, um, a, a, a couple of very proven offensive linemen, uh, one, Jared Patterson, who's been one of the best players at his position when healthy, um, Josh Lug, who has a lot of experience, and then Zeke Carell, who's shown promise there um, at center, if that's not the combination. Um, there are I, I still think that – I still think the ceiling is still sort of that same level because of – those anchors you have at the tackle positions. Um, and if they play to the level that we think is capable of them, they make an even bigger leap than maybe we even expect. And yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a really good offensive line. So that, that, that's what I think when you think of the ceiling, uh, what's, what's more likely, I, probably not that level. Um, but, but I think, I mean, I, I know like the, the, the cliche sky's the limit. I, I really do think that the talent is there for this offensive line to be really, really good. Um, and obviously we think the coaching is there too. Um, so I, I'm very curious to see how it all comes together um, in this first year with Harry Heastan back at Notre Dame. Next question is at Steve Goforth five. I don't know if you can answer this, but has anyone looked at a correlation between the order an athlete posts their finalist schools and which school they sign with? Does an athlete most often sign with the school listed first, middle, last? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go have a beer with Steve because that's a very creative question that I never would have thought of, uh, at least not without having a couple beers. Um, I, I don't think there's been a study done on it. And honestly, the people that make the recruiting graphics yes. um, often don't know what school is favored and so forth. Uh, I think they're just trying to make a graphic that looks good. 
Um, sometimes they do it in alphabetical order, sometimes not. Uh, so I do not have the science behind that. Hopefully Tyler does because <laughs> my answer is awful. No, no chance. I've never, I've never studied that. That would be uh, quite the, uh, quite the project. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. Like sometimes it's alphabetical. Sometimes the kid isn't necessarily even listing him himself. Like the designer is just given the list of teams and that the way they turn out doesn't necessarily have to reflect the way they were given to him. Unless the kid is asking for, Hey, I want, I don't know what sort of micromanaging goes into the creation of the graphics for the kids, but um, I, I don't, I don't think there's much of a correlation there. I mean, I mean, I, I'm more interested in like when I ask a kid about schools, like who does he name um, that I don't bring up. Like, I don't like, I like it. I'm, I, if I ask a kid about, okay, what schools are recruiting you the hardest, then that puts the onus on him to present them rather than like, how hard is Washington recruiting you or how hard is Notre Dame recruiting you? I try to ask more open-ended questions to try and see what they say. And I do read into that, which I mean, could be wrong. I mean, kids, kids could also be trying to sort of uh, hide their preferences when they're talking to you. Cause they, they know that everything they say um, does, does carry weight and people will, will read into it. So um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look into it much, but if Steve wants to go ahead and, uh, do the study for us. Um, <laughs> I'd be glad to learn the results. Next question is from OK Thanks on the Insider Lounge. Uh, he also added a name to my identification, Ryan from upstate New York. Uh, what is the status with CJ Carr? Is he a 2023 or 2024 uh, re whatever it's called, reclassified, I think is the word he's looking for. Is Notre Dame making any headway on other 23 quarterbacks? Seems like the more ship has sailed. I can't see them not taking a quarterback this cycle. Boy, I like that he included his real name. That makes me feel like I know him better instead of just, okay, thanks. Although I think <laughs> that's a pretty cool handle. And sometimes it seems like the response I want to give on some question. <laughs> um, so from my understanding is that this hasn't been determined yet whether C.J. Carr would reclassify into the 2023 class. It is my understanding it's highly unlikely that would happen. Um, and so he is an older kid for his grade. He turned 17 in May. So if he stayed where he is in the 24 class, he would be 19 as a freshman. Not quite as old as Jimmy Clausen, who turned 20 in September of his freshman year. But, you know, there, there's a lot of kids that are 18 when they start. I started college when I was 17. Um so with the Dante Moore thing, I don't think it's out of the realm that he could end up with Notre Dame. I don't think it's a probability anymore. As far as other 2023 quarterbacks, there's some kids that Notre Dame, you know, is keeping an eye on. Brock Glenn from Memphis is one of those, but he seems like he's getting close to a decision. And, you know, I think they want this C.J. Carr decision made and they're helping to make that decision I guess they want that kind of cleared up by the end of the summer and so uh let's say he stays in the 24 class which is is the overwhelmingly probable thing to do they're going to have to poach somebody from another class um somebody else's class and I think they will end up with a 2023 quarterback but it's somebody that'll probably be committed somewhere else yeah, yeah. CJ has has not publicly indicated that he wants to reclassify. Um, he's still in the 2024 class. The fact that it's still being rumored and whispered about leads me to believe that Notre Dame is interested in him reclassifying the 2023 class if it can't get a 2023 quarterback it wants. But I think I think it's done more harm than good in this scenario where like people are aware of this possibility. So what 2023 quarterback is going to come to Notre Dame when they know that this could happen um, or is it potentially in the works? So I, I just I, I think C.J. Carr is a great quarterback, but I think everything around how this is played out is isn't doing Notre Dame a lot of positives in terms of quarterback recruiting because like they're sort of on hold like what you can't recruit any 2023 quarterbacks right now because they're worried about C.J. Carr reclassifying. 
you can't recruit 2024 quarterbacks right now because he is literally a 2024 quarterback right now. Uh, so it's this uncomfortable limbo um, if if Carr is not committed to do it and cleared to reclassify yet. So it's this weird sort of waiting game, and I don't I don't I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I mean, the longer it's it's nebulous and it's not ruled out, the more likely I believe that it is it will happen. Um, because I just think it's 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 going to hurt Notre Dame's chances with 2023 guys. But I mean, there's there's plenty of conversations I'm sure that are happening behind the scenes that we're not necessarily aware of, and they don't want to get out. Um, but it's just a it's just a weird situation um, in terms of how it's all played out, <laughs> especially when like none of it's really come from CJ. Like he's not out there saying, "Yeah, I, I'm interested in doing this." I mean, he's essentially ruled it out that it's not something he's doing. He's he's committed to the 2024 class for now, so. Um, it's, it's strange. I don't, the, in terms of Dante Moore, it, it seems like that's not, not going to happen for Notre Dame, but I think, I think you could smooth that out. Like, Hey, it, this CJ Carr stuff was like, that wasn't true. We didn't want to do that. People made, I mean, they could, they could say that we, we didn't want him to reclassify. We, we want you still, um, but we couldn't turn down CJ Carr because we think he's a really good quarterback. So we wanted him to commit in the 2024 class. So I, I, I don't know that we have many good answers right now. I guess is the best way to put it. It's, it's a very, for, for as, I mean, to me, like, obviously this is a, I guess a somewhat good problem to have. You're still talking about a really talented quarterback, whether he's in the 2023 or 2024 class, but for as, as many positive things have come from Notre Dame's recruiting and, and how good they're doing, this is one area that seems to be a, a sort of gray area that I don't know how it's helping Notre Dame at this point. Um, and, and I think it needs to, I needs to, I think it needs to be resolved sooner rather than later for Notre Dame to put itself in the best position to have a really talented 2023 quarterback and a really talented 2024 quarterback, regardless of which class CJ Carr ends up in. Next question from the inside lounge is from RRH1. Any idea when Jason Moore and Ronan Hannafin are announcing? I think Tyler has a better idea. Uh, yeah, I, I would think in July, but I'll I'll let Tyler answer this one. Yeah, I, I can jump in. Yeah, they've they've both made indications that they'd like to commit before their senior season, but neither has has necessarily set a date. So July would be a safe guess. Um, but I, I nothing is sort of nailed down yet. I, I like Notre Dame's chances with Ronan Hannafin as a wide receiver recruit better than Jason Moore, defensive tackle right now. Um, they could both they could both end up in the class. Um, but I, I think Notre Dame's in a slightly better position with Ronan Hannafin, whereas I think they're in a little bit more of a fight for Jason Moore. Um, but I think uh, those would be two potentially big additions for Notre Dame. Obviously, Jason Moore being more significant on paper as the number one defensive tackle in the 2023 class, um, although he would be joining a position that has a number of commits, whereas Ronan Hannafin would be joining a position that's not very heavy with commits right now, but that could change by the, by the end of the summer as well. Next question from the Insider Lounge is from SJB75. Rivals considers Julian Sand from Carlsbad, California, the number two quarterback in the 2024 class ahead of C.J. Carr. Does this surprise you? No, it doesn't, because I know Notre Dame liked Julian Sand a lot, but they liked C.J. Carr better, and these ratings move. Uh, for example, Dylan Rayola moved up 25 spots to number three, and and I remember talking to Tom Lemming, who is not affiliated with Rivals or its rankings. And I said, who do you like the best in the 2024 class? At the time, Jaden Davis was the number one quarterback. And he thought Davis was a little bit small. Um, so he liked Rayola, Sayan, and Carr. Uh, with Rayola the best, then Carr, and then Sayan. So uh, DJ Lagway was in a in the top 10 in the last rankings, he dropped, I think, 25 or 26 spots um, out of the top 10. So these rankings are going to change. And, and we're talking if CJ Carr has closed the gap, he's number 15 now overall. Um, we're talking about different shades of greatness, not, you know, elite and, oh, you know, here's a guy we're settling for. There's no settling for CJ Carr. So it does not surprise me that Notre Dame might have a different uh, opinion than the rivals uh, rankers do. 
yeah, I mean, based on size, I think it's a bit surprising because Julian Sain isn't isn't as big as CJ Carr is. But I know our rivals analysts have seen Julian Sain a lot and have raved about how accurate he has been in those settings. Um, so, so to me, it's not terribly surprising. I'd have to see him in person myself to feel strongly one way or the other. I mean, I've seen CJ Carr in person, um, whereas I haven't Julian Sain. They both have really good film. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of kind of crazy to see. It sort of gets to what Eric asked Clint about in terms of the, the amount of top elite quarterbacks that are in the 2023 and 2024 classes, because I watched CJ Carr throw and I've seen his film. I don't, uh, and, and yet he's still considered the fourth best quarterback in our rankings. Um, to me, that, that, that goes to show like how stacked the class is. And there's just a lot of talent there because I think he's a really good quarterback. There's not a lot of question marks when you look at CJ Carr as, as a prospect. So, I mean, so to, to answer the question, again, it doesn't surprise me a ton. Um, I, I can see on paper why people are like, why is Julian Sane, who's listed as 6'1", um, ranked, ranked ahead of CJ Carr? But um, that's how rival sees it right now. Next question is from Marie and BFRA at BFRA underscore Marie. What percentage of winning a national championship do you think is team talent? And what percentage is X's and O's? In which position groups, not including quarterback, does Notre Dame most need to make up the talent differential to become national championship level? Well, to put an exact percentage on it, I, I'm not sure that I'm skilled enough with my math to do that. But I'm going to try to answer your question as best that I can. Um, I think there are teams that are um, much less talented that do make up a lot in X's and O's that, for example, um, rise into maybe the top 25. You can be a top 25 team with maybe top 50 talent. I think winning a national championship is different. I think the talent quotient goes up. And the problem is if you're going to try to out X and O's those teams, I mean, when you're talking about Nick Saban and how what a great defensive mind he is and Dabo, how smart he is in offensive football, um, you know, the cultures those teams have. I mean, there's a lot of factors, but bottom line is Notre Dame has had to be absolutely perfect. There's no margin for error uh, in those big games, whereas Alabama, you know, could have a defensive tackle stub his toe and have to come out of the game and plug in another guy, and he looks just every bit as good. You know, we know in the Clemson game in 2018, Julian Love being out of the game for a half was disastrous for Notre Dame just because there wasn't the depth of talent. And, and you know, they weren't good enough at the quarterback position and some of the other positions too. Um, so that's why I think people have a right to be really excited about Marcus Freeman's recruiting because it is a missing piece to the national championship formula that wasn't being addressed at a high enough level by Brian Kelly. Now, Brian Kelly certainly got him to the brink of it and he deserves credit for that. Um, so Marie, I hope I answered your question without giving you an exact number on that. <laughs> as far as positions, you know, you, you mentioned besides quarterback or, or not including quarterback. So I would say wide receiver. Um, they, they've begun to address it with running back. If, if you get uh, Jeremiah Love and Young, is it Richard Young, Tyler? Yes. In this class, woo, you're, you're getting to where you need to be with running back. And I would say cornerback as well, maybe safety. Notre Dame seems to be improving a lot in its safety recruiting. I would say the cornerbacks, you know, getting those elite cornerbacks and, and Christian Gray would be a big step in that direction. Yeah. And potentially Micah Bell as well on July 1st, making his decision. He's a borderline top 100 recruit as well. Uh, I, I agree with on the positions in terms of the two in my mind are wide receiver and corner. Uh, those are the positions where, Notre Dame doesn't have enough elite talent at consistently. Um, they've had they've had really good receivers, whether it's Miles Boykin or Chase Claypool or Will Fuller, but they don't have enough of them in multiples 
um, or enough at the same time um, that some of the top uh, national championship winning teams have. Um, and I think you could say the same thing at, at the cornerback position. I, I know I, I did a story looking at some of the secondary stuff through PFF and I think like all four of the college ball playoff teams had like, I think three cornerbacks like ranked in a certain echelon in terms of their coverage grades. Whereas like Notre Dame had one last season um, in, in that same echelon that, that, that the difference is, is, is kind of stark there in terms of, the, the quality at the cornerback position and, and the depth um, that 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 uh, Notre Dame wants to have to be able to win the national championship. So those are the two positions I would point to. In terms of a number, I'll give it. I'll give a number. I, I went with seventy five percent talent and twenty five percent X's and O's because uh, I mean, and I, I don't know the best way to to calculate that, but I, I'm I'm in agreement with you that you you can't win a national championship without the talent. Um, so maybe maybe that's low even because. Um, you can be a genius in X's and O's and make a, a team with average to good talent get to the competitive level um, and even maybe get to the playoff. I think Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame's done that with, with really good talent, but not like the what we would consider national championship level talent. Um, but you, you, you need that talent to win those games. Uh, you, we're not seeing national champions that haven't recruited at the highest levels um, on a consistent basis. Um, and, that, and that's that's what it takes to to win a national championship in college football. So that that's where I came up with with the, the numbers for that. All right. That's it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review and share our podcast feed with a friend. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, stick with InsideIndieSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.